0: Warning, the following content may be disturbing to some individuals. Consumer discretion is advised. Sirens of
1: the Supernatural
0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Sirens of the Supernatural. Lindsay and I are here with a great episode for you. But first, Lindsay, mm. I want to ask, you're having a spooky week.
1: Mm, kind of, kind of. It's a little. It's been a little spooky over here. Um, <laughs> as always, I mean, I moved into a new house and I haven't seen any signs of ghosts yet, but I'm on the lookout. I'm keeping my eyes peeled.
0: No creepy noises?
1: Not yet. Not that I've noticed, but I wouldn't be surprised, honestly.
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad you haven't seen anything yet, but or unless you want to see something, then that's a whole different ball game. I wish you luck there.
1: <laughs> a little bit. I won't lie.
0: And we're Maybe getting really here, excited. But...
1: What? Maybe not here, but somewhere.
0: Somewhere. Hey, that somewhere might be... The Martha Washington Inn this Saturday Fingers
1: when crossed. we're
0: there for our all night investigation and staying in a haunted room.
1: Fingers crossed. We're going
0: to explore the grounds. We're going to go to the common areas and we're also going to have a night cam set up in our mm-hmm. room in case something decides to show itself. We're going to be looking
1: all over and I can't find anything of like real evidence from the Martha Washington like no videos I mean there's stories right but no like real physical evidence so I'm curious if we can get something
0: (laughs) me too maybe we'll be the first ones who do (laughs) maybe
1: you never know
0: (laughs) but regardless it's gonna be fun we're gonna have our digital recorders we're gonna have our camera we're gonna have a special guest maybe more than one special guest Mm. Oh, I'm really excited about that and that we get to do it so close to Halloween on the 28th of October yeah Um, that's
1: the coolest part
0: right and we'll have video our listeners will finally get to see us (laughs) on YouTube (laughs)
1: this suspense is killing
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure I'm sure (laughs) well tonight we're going to be talking about Uh, thin eating. And if that's a term you've never heard, you're probably wondering what the heck it is. And what it was is an ancient ritual rooted in a blend of Celtic, Scottish, and English traditions uh, that was practiced in the heart of the Appalachian Mountains for quite a long time. It's gone out of practice now, but the mysterious and solemn act known as sin eating, was when a chosen individual called a sin-eater would be hired during a wake or a funeral, and that person would take on the sins of the deceased to ensure that the soul found peace in the afterlife. And it started hundreds of years ago in Scotland and parts of Ireland and Wales And that surrounding area, and it came to the remote regions of the Appalachians with those settlers who settled there. Um, Actually, it was reported up until the 1950s in North Carolina, West Virginia, and Virginia, this ritual was. Which, when I was doing some research, that was was surprising to me that uh, some people were still practicing this in the 1950s. But the ritual went much deeper than like professional mourners or setting up with the dead all night. Uh, It stemmed from practices in ancient Greek and Egypt, but also from the rite of absolutions that the Catholics practice, where a priest is called in when someone is close to death to pray and forgive their sins. And so what happened was a combination of all these things came together and people started saying, well, what about those who die unexpectedly? Maybe they didn't have a priest or a minister to come and pray with them. Um, That question and that circumstance spurred the merging of those different practices that became what um, the early settlers called sin eating. And for the family of the one who had passed, it was such an important step in their grieving process. Um, So, Lindsay is going to tell us how they actually did this ritual.
1: So, now you know why, but let's talk a little bit about how and what it is. So, the sin eater was someone that consumed the sins of the departed by eating a symbolic meal, some bread or death cake. Sometimes the food was placed on the chest or the face of the deceased and other times the food was held above the body. Wine or some other drink was often part of this ritual. I just have to pause because I could never, okay? I could never, (laughs) I maybe would hold it above the body right. the, I, there's no way i would be putting anything on a dead body's face and eating it are you you're lying you're lying <laughs> I, I can't uh while eating the food or meal the sin eater was believed to absorb sins of the departed that transferred to the sin eater the deceased could then find rest in heaven instead of spending eternity in hell According to the Southern Voice website, often a prayer like this was repeated: "I give easement and rest now to thee, dear man or woman. Come not down the lanes or in our meadows, and for thy peace I pawn my own soul. Amen." That is spooky. Upon my own soul, I would like. I, I just I would like to talk to. A city. <laughs> like I would just like to sit down and have a conversation. Like, how did you find yourself here? In life, like, why did they take these? I don't understand. Um, so who was chosen and hired to take on the role of the community sin eater? That's eating a lot of sins. Usually, the person was already an outcast, poor, or considered socially undesirable in some way. This was someone who had little social status and whom the community looked down on. Examples were beggars, alcoholics, or those who needed a little money or food. So after the ritual, the sin eater was shunned, turned out of the home, and once again put out of the community. This was probably a very lonely life. Mm -hmm. They were considered and forced to live alone in remote places away from everyone else, and people wouldn't even look them in the eye or greet them, even the church frowned upon them. They were believed to carry the sins they ate along with them through life, and for choosing to take these sins upon themselves, sin eaters were destined to eternal damnation inhale okay but here's my question so obviously these were people that felt like they didn't have any other choice they were already social outcasts so why not but you would think if they're taking on everybody else's sins okay well let's let's give them at least a little handout like they're taking everybody else's sins we're not just gonna damn them to hell why don't these people that are taking on the sins why don't they get like a special seat up in heaven are you kidding me like, that's so much to sacrifice, and you're just going to cast him right back out? Right. I'd be I'd be, if yeah. I was a sin eater, I'd be the meanest sin, sin eater <laughs> the community had ever seen. I'd be making it feel buddy. Well, in uh,
0: 1996, I think it was, uh, there was a book published called The Last Sin Eater, and it was by Francine Rivers. And I have not read the book, but I have seen the movie that was based on the book. It came out in 2007, and it was called The Last Sin Eater as well. Um, And it followed the story of these Welsh immigrants who ended up living in the mountains of Appalachia and still practiced that ritual. And it was a creepy, fascinating film. I would highly recommend it. Um, You saw the perspective of the people who had lost a loved one but You also got the perspective of the sin eater, and um, it, it was uh, it was pretty interesting.
1: I feel like I vaguely uh, remember watching that just mm-hmm. vaguely. The only thing I remember from that movie was that little girl who kept going, It's the sin eater, yeah. <laughs>
0: That's the only thing I remember from that movie. And the sin eater, when he <laughs> came, you couldn't even see his face. You remember, he had a dark yeah. cloak and oh. the hood and everything looked, oh. it, and he came at night it was it was really, uh, <laughs> it like was really yeah but over time even though the ritual became a distant memory it's still a unique part a very unique part of the cultural heritage oh. and the past of the people in the Appalachian Mountains um, and Probably unless you hear a podcast like this or you study history very closely, you would never hear about it in this day and age. But um, yes, and it leaves me with more questions than it does answers because I'm left feeling sorry for the person who was chosen to take on this role. Mm -hmm. Um, How depressing that would be for a little, a little while, you're like the most important Person, the most sought-after person in the community, but then we're kicking you to the curb again. And not only that, but you know or you believe that you're paying for everybody else's sins, right?
1: Do you know what kind of thin-eater I would be? (laughs) (laughs) If somebody was doing me dirty in the community, I would be the person that's like, oh, do you remember... When your uncle died, because I feel those sins coming back up. I think I'm just gonna have to bring them back up, and you're gonna have to deal with it. <laughs> you can treat me right, or those sins coming back up, baby. <laughs> like, I would be mean with it.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, we can we can say that and think those things now, but back then they just had such a different mindset, it's hard for us to imagine that particular mindset. But I know, um, and if Ryan was here with us on this episode, he would, he would chime in too. But uh, our family in the Appalachian had kind of our own death rituals as well. Um, sitting up with the dead was something that not everyone did. Um, they would bring the body of the deceased to the home and um, you would go by and pay your respects to the deceased. Um, and people would, would just hang around all night um, and sit up and talk. And uh, I think we mentioned on an earlier episode about how we would do that. And then the burial, uh, most of the people in the Appalachians, most of those families that have been there for quite a while had their own Cemetery, their own family cemetery, where they would bury um, those who passed on, and the the family would be the ones who dug the grave, and you know it was like you did for your own. the the young men, the healthy young men, dug the grave. They were the pallbearers, um, and and you just. You kind of made it a personal thing. Uh, Nowadays, it's a little different. You know, death rituals are different nowadays. People um, are in the funeral home. You know, the deceased is in the funeral home. People go pay their respects there. They hire someone uh, to dig a grave. Uh, and, And most of the time, people are not laid to rest in a family cemetery. But that's still the way it is in our family. Um, up there. So, um, anything else you want to add, Lindsay, before our break?
1: Not that I can think of, but I've got some really interesting stuff for when we come back.
0: (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) Stay with us. We'll be right back after this short break. Tune in Friday night, November 17th, when we explore all things Mothman. Did you know that the sightings in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, aren't the only times and places this creature has been seen? Is a Mothman sighting really a predictor of a tragedy or disaster? We'll discuss these things and more. And as a bonus, we'll be interviewing special guest and expert on the Mothman phenomena, Travis Short, the writer, producer, and host of the first feature-length documentary on Mothman called Dark Wings, The Mothman Chronicle. Don't miss it.
1: Welcome back to Sirens of the Supernatural. Hi guys, welcome back to Sirens of the Supernatural. Just a small trigger warning, I am going to be talking about death portraiture, which has to do with posing the bodies of deceased people. And if we show them on socials, just be aware of that before you click over, especially on Instagram, because it is interesting to look at, but at the same time, they are dead bodies. So just be aware of that. Um, But I do want to talk a little bit first before we go into the photography aspect of it we're gonna visit a little bit about what people did before there was photography so we know that death masks have been a thing since the middle ages i mean dante Alighieri has a death mask napoleon bonaparte has a death mask and those were just plaster casts of the face of someone important who had just passed away Because, and the point of this whole thing is to capture someone's likeness, to be able to remember what they looked like in life. A lot of times these death masks kind of just look like they were sleeping, if you've ever seen one. Um, And the same thing with the death portraiture, too. A lot of times when you see it, if you don't know what it is, you would just think that they were asleep.
0: Lindsay, Um, did did you come across... Something's ringing a bell for me about Abraham Lincoln, about President Lincoln having a... I
1: thought basement. that I wasn't going to say anything because I was like, I'm not sure, but I want to say yes.
0: I'm thinking I remember but that. That popped too. in my head,
1: too, that he had yeah. a, a death mask as well. But I don't want to say it because I was like, I don't know if I'm right, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that he does have one. Um, and then, of course, in art, you know, paintings of death skeletons, the Grim Reaper, they've always been around. Just kind of a reminder to appreciate the life that you have because everything's temporary. And, Mm. I mean, we all wonder what's going to happen to us after we die because we all do. We all die. I mean, there's no escaping it. So that's been a, you know, thing in art for as long as people have been dying, basically. But so the first, first camera, early cameras were dagger types. So the camera needed a silver plate to register the image. But because of this, it took anywhere from like three to 15 minutes for the image to register from the light being let into the camera. So that's why a lot of times in old portraits, they don't look very happy because it's hard enough to have just your regular relaxed face sitting completely still for 15 minutes, much less Trying to plaster a natural smile on your face for 15 minutes, I would look like a psycho if I just sat there smiling. I couldn't do it. I cannot. There's no way. So, because of this, any t- any movement would get picked up by the camera, and it would kind of create a blur. So, in early death portraiture, it's very easy to tell which body is the dead body because they're crystal clear because they don't have any minimal movements like breathing or adjusting so it's very creepy because they look just crystal clear in the picture and everything else like if there's other people in the picture they're a little blurry which was pretty popular i didn't come across a lot of like death portraiture that was just the body because a lot of times the family members would want to preserve that image and memory so that they would pose with the body um, a lot of the times. There would, especially in smaller communities where there wasn't a lot of medicine, epidemics ran rampant, and there were small children that didn't make it, very popular to get their death portraiture. But in early photography, I mean, pictures weren't like they are now. Super easy, click it and it's done. Usually back then, it was just important life events. So death was definitely one of those events so that's where that's why there's a lot of early death portraiture um it it might seem a little bit strange now to us just because photography is so widely available it wasn't Mm -hmm. back then though it was something that was more special and reserved for those important events so to us now it probably seems so weird why would you want to take a picture with a dead body i mean you could You could do that a million times if you wanted to now. But back then, it was more for the family member to grieve and to have that picture with them so that they they could remember the person. And it was a little bit more special.
0: Was it expensive? Like, were only the wealthy able to have a photographer come and do that for I want
1: to say more often than not, probably it was the people that were more well off. But I mean, sometimes you would get those photographers that would visit more rural places. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially in Appalachia, it was a tradition for the family members to decide how they were going to pose the deceased, decide what they were going to wear, if they were going to have any objects with them. Like A lot of times the kids would have like toys or blankets, um, flowers were a very popular thing to pose around the body. I guess just kind of a image that you would almost think that they were still alive, they were just sleeping. That's Mm -hmm. kind of what they wanted. But something creepy that I did come across was sometimes after the photo was taken and they had the, the image, if the eyes were closed, sometimes people would paint them open to make them look more lifelike but I feel like that looks so much creepier than if it mm-hmm. was just like they were asleep because mm-hmm. it's really hard to paint a lifelike eye in sepia tone or black and white so a lot of times it was a colorful eye on top of sepia tone or black and white which just added to that out
0: probably really yeah, really
1: really <laughs> odd but i mean you gotta do what you gotta do i guess
0: (laughs) how did they keep their eyes closed
1: well and the eyes aren't always closed in these pictures sometimes they are um later as cameras progressed and they didn't have to worry about that movement so much it gets harder to tell which bodies are the dead bodies and which ones are the live bodies like mm-hmm. I, I found a picture that is a lot of kids in a row I think we were talking about it earlier mm-hmm. and it goes from the oldest boy down to the youngest girl who I think is kind of reclining on a stool and if you were just to see it in passing you wouldn't be able to tell you would think it was just a family portrait right because she, I mean her eyes are kind of open like she just looks like she's lounging there with everyone else but in reality she's she's dead Mm. which is is sad but i mean if that's how you if that's what you have to remember your loved one by then that's what you have
0: right and i imagine in the early days before embalming they had to do that pretty quickly
1: mm-hmm.
0: if they were going to get a, a portrait like yeah. that that makes yeah. me sad
1: <clears throat> it is sad and i feel like too i didn't look into this too much but I saw a couple pictures like this where it almost looked like you have this figure like shrouded in a veil or some kind of black shroud. And then they have the deceased child on their lap because the mother, whoever, wanted to pose the child and have them sitting up, but they weren't able to do that. Right. Without sitting with them and i don't know maybe they didn't want to be in the photograph or but those are very creepy to look at
0: very very i imagine
1: um but if you've ever seen the others that movie with nicole kidman it's a scary movie Mm -hmm. love that top five scary movie love it too yeah it has such a good (laughs) twist i won't ruin it but you do death portraiture does come into play in that Mm -hmm. movie and that's the first place that i ever saw it me too and I remember, I think you had got it from pay-per-view and recorded <laughs> it on VHS. Yeah. And we're like trying. You were trying to get Dad to wake up that night because he fell asleep, and you were just watching it by yourself, and you're so scared. But you wanted to finish watching it the next day, so you just had me and Courtney sit down and watch it with you. And I don't. I, I was maybe like six or seven. I don't know how old I was, but I was like, that is so. That's the scariest thing I've ever seen because it was dead people in a picture. And I'd never seen that before. And I just thought that that has always stuck with me, honestly. Mm-hmm. That I will remember that movie forever. I mean, it's a good movie, but seeing that and being scared of that so young, I just will never forget that. And so wow. when we talked about doing this episode, I was like, oh, for sure I'm doing. Oh, <laughs> yeah,
0: sorry. I didn't know it gave you PTSD.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't say PTSD. I would say like morbid curiosity, more like. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a really good movie. Um, but other, so, leaving off on death portraiture for just a minute, I do want to talk about um, death trinkets, which, I mean, could be a matter of anything, really. So, they've been around since the Middle Ages. Most of the time, it's some some form of jewelry or something that you can wear to remember the deceased. Now, a lot of this is hair. (laughs) Okay. So, when I say that, though, don't picture, like, just cutting a lock of somebody's hair off and tying it around your wrist as a bracelet. These death trinkets, a lot of times, were made by very skilled artisans. I mean, a lot of them that I looked up, it was a bracelet. You couldn't even tell that it was hair. It just looks like chain. It's so intricately braided together and crafted to where you can't you can't even tell that it's hair if I just saw somebody wearing that I wouldn't even think anything of it it doesn't even look like hair at all um but a lot of times people chose hair because it represents regrowth and it's so intrinsically personal to that person Mm. that um it was really popular to get even in life. Like if you had a really deep friendship or if you had a true love, you might give them a lock of your hair to remember mm-hmm. you by because it's so uniquely a gift from you because it is you, you're giving somebody a piece of you.
0: And um, and you're giving them your DNA actually.
1: <laughs> yeah. You're, it's actually you that you're giving somebody and you know, people would choose that, I guess, as jewelry from, a deceased person because it lasts after they die, um, especially if you preserve it and make it into jewelry. It's not going to degrade for a while. Mm-hmm. You can't really say that about much else besides bone. We'll get into that in a minute, though. <laughs> oh god, <laughs> That's another uh, hot ticket item. Okay. <laughs> but before we talk about that, we're going to stay on here for just a second because I found something ra- that was so interesting to me called a victorian hair shrine which uh, yeah a victorian hair shrine shrine, okay okay this is straight up like mounted wall art made of hair which Uh on first learning about this i thought okay this is gonna be hideous and gross and i just was picturing the grossest things because you know back in victorian times they're not washing their hair every day they might write a month so i was like okay this mm-hmm. is gonna be gross but passing by i mean if you were to see it from across the ring hanging up on a wall you would think that it was just a dried bouquet of flowers or some kind of plants that um people had created and framed and hung up are we going to so- be able to
0: share some of those pictures yeah on yeah, I, I
1: have pictures we'll, we'll share them on social media because they're, I mean, they're so cool. I've never seen one in person. I don't know how many of them are actually left. If Mm -hmm. they are still around, they're definitely like vintage antique items, but they are just so skillfully crafted and made that you can't even, I mean, you can't tell it's hair at all. It looks like, straight up dried flowers or like some kind of plant it's the coolest thing wow that I've seen in a long time and I thought it was going to be gross and now here I am like amazed that people can do this with hair <laughs> yeah. it just was. Wow. My- yeah definitely check out our socials because there will be pictures of it on there and you guys will just be your mind will be blown <laughs> um and these are not small things okay these are like huge like Mounted on the wall kind of pieces. They're not jewelry. They're not meant to be worn. They're meant to be displayed. So they're very, mm-hmm. very big. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last thing that I found, or I guess came across rather, was making jewelry out of teeth.
0: <laughs> out of teeth. No, I've, I've heard, I've heard of people like mothers saving their Children's baby teeth. Is this like taking it to a new level?
1: Kind of. Yeah, a little bit. A okay. little bit. Um, so after Prince Albert died, Queen Victoria set these mourning standards, right? So there's it's customary to mourn up to two years, and there's three stages of the mourning process. So there was deep mourning, which was right when it happened. You're mourning, you're grieving, it's you're in it then you graduate to ordinary or second morning and then you graduate to half morning so you're just graduating up to not morning anymore basically you just have two years to kind of get out of it but you could not wear jewelry until after the deep morning stage so if you had any like jewelry of the deceased, or jewelry in general, you could not, you were not supposed to wear jewelry until after the deep mourning stage, which Mm -hmm. I thought was kind of interesting. I don't understand Mm -hmm. why, but teeth were often made into rings and pendants as a way to keep loved ones close, and in places and times of high infant mortality rates, baby Mm -hmm. teeth were commonly used on pins and chains because they were so small and dainty Mm -hmm. that they could I guess, do more with them. And I do think that I have a picture of that, too, that we'll share on socials. Um, Which I just, to me, it looks very morbid. But that's because we just, it's a different time. And we Mm -hmm. weren't seeing that. We're not seeing that anymore, really. Well, I've not seen it. Like, I can't speak for everybody. But um, I've not seen, it's not as common anymore. Back then, it was more common. So it wasn't kind of as taboo as it would be now.
0: Right. Right. It was trending. Yeah.
1: Yeah. To see somebody just walking around with a adult incisor on a ring on their hand, I would be like, um, what you got there? Like what is that? Is that real? Like I would be a little freaked out, but back then it was, you know, it was morning jewelry. It was meant to keep that person close in whatever way they could, I guess. Yeah. Really. Um, And then the last thing I want to talk about is like more modern times and now because I guess with me researching all of this, my Instagram really was tracking me on it because (laughs) last night I was scrolling and I came across this post, um, I think it was from the Appalachian Sun, and let me pull it up. It was talking about, it caught my eye because it said, it mentioned a death doula have you ever heard of this
0: a death doula (laughs) no
1: death doula so there are doulas for obviously when you give birth you might get a doula to kind Mm -hmm. of be your guide and be your advocate and help you through that process but i learned that there's also something called a death doula now this specifically mentioned death doulas of nc and here here's what their website says Says, what does our network look like? So, here are the things that they're doing they provide trauma informed death doulas and midwives, non medical comfort care specialists, home funeral guides, archivists and legacy work assistants, portrait artists and photographers, grief and bereavement specialists, green burial educators and advocates, and professional home and estate organizers. But what I want to concentrate on is the green burial educators because this post also mentioned this farm it's called moss and thistle farm
0: moss and thistle
1: moss and thistle farm
0: i've never heard of it
1: it's it's outside of ashville so it's in the appalachia region mm-hmm. and um let me find what is her name sam laswell is the leader of moss and thistle farm and it's basically a group of artisans that come together And they weave caskets from locally grown willow that they grow locally. They are biodegradable. They're eco-friendly caskets. So it's like this big, it almost looks like a human-sized basket. Mm -hmm. But they're so, I mean, they're beautiful. That You you put it in the ground and it's biodegradable. It degrades Mm -hmm. with you. It's good for the earth. But the baskets, and they I think they also make um, pine caskets from, like, locally sourced mm-hmm. wood. But I just, I didn't know this was a thing. I know there's all kinds of different ways that you can have a funeral and be buried. But mm-hmm. I did not know that you could have something like this. It's yeah. Like a, it's a woven casket. And I, I want to, if we can, I want to put some pictures of this up on socials, too, and maybe tag them or shout them out or something because I, this is just I've never seen anything like it before and I was just so interested in it because yeah. these are artisans that come together that really care about providing a a good funeral. I know sometimes you can find people like caskets for thousands of dollars and mm-hmm. funeral homes do all this and you have people out there that would take advantage of somebody mm-hmm. who needs to bury somebody quick but Mm -hmm. they seem like they genuinely would provide a caring kind of service
0: oh and it sounds like a whole circle yeah yeah everything they support you and everything
1: yeah and I, i was just so interested about the death doulas and then i think moss and thistle farm had a meeting of like death doulas came and um the post was I guess whoever runs the Appalachian said that he got to go experience weaving his own casket, which I'm sure is something that you could do. You know, they have oh, wow. the yeah, it, it's just showed them a video of them weaving and they're just they're beautiful.
0: That's that's interesting. Now you we're talking about the death doula is that is that someone who comes alongside the people who are grieving, the family members who are grieving or do they actually have any contact like if you were someone that was terminally ill and you knew that you were there yes
1: I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure they could do either one they would probably be a good advocate for you before Mm -hmm. you passed and then be able to help your family and carry out your wishes after you pass is what I'm assuming I didn't know it was a thing until last night and so I've not had a ton of time to research it but very cool very interesting
0: that is interesting i've never heard of anything like that and you know either. apple uh ashville's not but about two hours from from here and
1: like an hour from me yeah and that's be
0: interesting that's neat I, to know that there's something like that out there
1: yeah and because i'm like i'm very involved in the art world i'm surprised i've never heard of this before but mm-hmm. honestly now i would lean towards doing something like that and Mm -hmm. making my own instead Mm -hmm. of going and buying like a fancy casket you know
0: Mm -hmm. is this fairly new did it say how long they've been
1: I didn't see that like I said I've not had a ton of time to research but I've never heard of it before so I'm gonna assume that it's newer as -hmm. far as death um, options and funeral options
0: out there Right. yeah and I've heard you're talking about like present day, they're always coming out with something new because I've mm-hmm. seen advertisements for like necklaces if if your loved one was cremated or something, rings and and jewelry that that you can actually carry. Yeah, you can part make of them into it. a
1: diamond.
0: Mm-hmm. So her. there's always there's always been like you said there's always been death rituals and traditions and they've changed through the years and evolved. But
1: um, do you remember on Ozark? do I have this right on Ozark when the guy was, he proposed and he was like, this ring is my mom. And she was like, it's from yeah. your mom. He's like, no, it's my mom. She's yes. like, she's the
0: I she's do like, remember that. Oh. And she was like, uh. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but no, <laughs> I <don't want> that. <laughs> Exactly. Wow. Well, that is all really super interesting. Mm -hmm. um and I'm sure I'm looking forward to seeing the pictures on our socials I'm sure that the listeners will be curious and want to see those as well and I'll try to snap a um picture of the book um or the movie if I can find it I used to have the movie The Last Sin either I'll try to give some info about that on our Mm -hmm. socials so you mentioned bones as well did you find that there were (laughs) anything uh, to do with bones and death rituals?
1: Well, I mean, of course, a lot of them are, you know, Native Americans have animal bones that they wear sometimes Mm -hmm. for different purposes. I've not researched that a ton, so I don't want to speak on that because I don't want to get it wrong. Mm -hmm. But absolutely, there are different rituals that have to do with Bones of deceased persons, but also I think animal bones can mean different things or serve different purposes if you wear them.
0: Mm -hmm. That's true. And on our socials, leading up to Halloween, um, we posted a a short a reel that was telling how the word bonfire came Mm -hmm. into being, and that was because the uh, Celts would throw the bones of animals into their fires. Um, And that had a religious meaning to them. And so that's where our word bonfire came from, which is interesting. Um, But anything else that we need to know about these death rituals that you found?
1: I don't know. I must feel like we could do a part two of these and just research and dig and find lesser known ones. Because there are so many that I came across. That Mm -hmm. sounded interesting, but I could just, I could research and talk about it for hours because it's, I mean, everybody dies. Death has been around since the beginning of time. So there's probably countless death traditions and things surrounding death that we've never even heard of before. Right. And and in each part of the
0: world and each little community, sometimes, you know, in different tribes and all of that, I, I can't even imagine it would boggle the mind.
1: I would love to do an episode at some point about um, catacombs and the Paris catacombs. Yes. Yeah, that would, that be,
0: would be That would really... Another
1: one of my favorite scary movies is As Above, So Below, which mm-hmm. is kind of like paranormal activity meets um, national treasure, but without mm-hmm. Nick Cage. But if Nick Cage was in that movie, I mean, it would be, Just a little extra spice. It would have just been perfect if Nick Cage was in that movie. But it's really good. And it has, like, they go underground in the Paris catacombs. And I just love it. It's so good.
0: Well, maybe that's one of the movies that we can review on a future episode. Um, We're going to be bringing our listeners some movie reviews. um, And so that's something that they can look forward to. Yeah. And definitely we would love to hear about any um, death rituals that are listeners uh, know about and would like to share or any spooky stories or experiences that Mm -hmm. our listeners may have you can uh, email those stories to us at sirensofthesupernatural at gmail.com we would uh, love to share those on a future episode and I want to give a plug to our socials because you'll want to be looking at those Um, and if you missed it You can also get on YouTube, our YouTube channel, and watch the highlights of our investigation at the Martha Washington Inn. yeah. Yeah, we're Sirens of the Supernatural on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And you'll find us at Supernatural Sirens on TikTok. We want to thank you for listening. And as always, we want to leave you with our greeting that you go on and have a spooky week. We say (laughs) stay stay spooky.